if you are hoping for eternal life and that hope is not attached to the person of Christ, then your hope is vain and futile. But if your hope is attached to Christ through faith, your hope is steadfast and sure. And it will be accomplished. It will come to pass. Because God has said it is so. We can believe it. Would you open your Bible with me to Galatians chapter 6? We're going to look at verses 6 through 10. There are many benefits that come both to the preacher and the congregation that practices systematic exposition. And that's a fancy phrase that just means studying through the book of a Bible together. One of the primary benefits of that is that it exposes us all, both preacher and congregation, to the whole counsel of God. And so we come to a text this morning that proves this benefit to us because it's an awkward text for a preacher to preach. It's a text that tells the congregation how they should relate to and provide for their pastor or pastors. And I'm thankful that we've come to this in a very natural way. We began back in chapter 1, verse 1, and we've progressed to this point. So, Lord willing, uh, there's no pretense on my part. There's no suspicion that I'm wanting something that you aren't providing for me. That's not it at all. It's just that we find ourselves naturally have come to this place and we are going to deal with it. Sometimes it is right, and we've done this in recent weeks. There is something either in the life of a congregation or in the life of the preacher that rises to the surface and it must come out. And you set aside your study for a week. That is normal. That is natural. And I would go so far as to say that that is good. But this is not something that would ever have burned so purely in me that I would have selected it out of any part of Scripture and presented it to you. But since we've come here, let's read it. Verse 6 of Galatians 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask for your help here. We ask, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. And that what is spoken would be in accord to the truth. We ask it for the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We ask it for the good and benefit of this local church. Father, we ask that you would be pleased to bless these moments for Christ's sake and in his name we pray. Amen. Let me remind you of 
the context that these verses come in. It's that of walking in the Spirit, all the way back into verse 16, which is carried over again in verse 24 and 25. It seems like walking in the Spirit is being defined more and more specifically as we go through. Last week it was generally the bearing of one another's burdens. And in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ as we love one another. Specifically here in verses 6 through 10, I I do think that this whole section here, these few verses, is governed by the relationship of a congregation to its teacher or to its pastor, or to use the word in Ephesians 4.12, the pastor-teacher, of which I think there can be more than one in a local church. I think Scripture bears that out. Even though that's the specific context, I think there is general principle or even principles that are embedded in these verses that every one of us do well to heed and to hear. The first thing that we're going to look at in verse 6, and I'm just calling this that the sharing between pastor or pastors and congregation. There is a mutual give and take that happens here in the normal, healthy life of a congregation. Verse 6 again reads, Let him who is taught, him who is taught the word, share in all good things with him who teaches. Now, let's notice the obvious. Good things which accord to Scripture are being taught if we look at this verse rightly. This is not anything goes type of teaching. This is something that is very specific. And even though the words all good things apply to the sharing of the congregation to the teacher, I think it is not wrong of us to see that in reverse. That all good things are being taught by the one teaching to the church. And when both of these things are in play, when the real truth of Scripture is being taught, and then there is all good things being shared with him who teaches, then we find ourselves living under the blessing or the expectation of God. This is not an isolated verse. So I want to bring out a few other verses that speak to very much the same thing. I'll just mention them. You can turn there later. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14 says, the Lord has commanded, and note the strong language, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, here Paul is quoting the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, where he says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. The word for teach here, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches, is the word in English where we get our word catechism, which we know when we catechize one another, most, most often we use that in reference to catechizing our children. It's teaching them a series of questions and answers that have as their basis the scripture, but yet worded and formulated in a way that is very precise, yes, but also easily remembered. 
And I would encourage you, parents, if you're not using this great tool in your home of catechizing your children, then this is something that you need to begin immediately. There are a number of good catechisms, a series of questions and answers, even for the smallest of children. If you were to ask my children who made you, I hope that they would respond very simply, God made me. And we think that that's an elementary truth, and it is. But how many people around you in this world today are confused by the answer to that question? Sad, you go and ask a child who is not being raised in the fear and nurture and admonition of the Lord who made you. There's no telling what kind of answer you're going to get. Even especially many adults are confused. God made us. He made us male and he made us female. And those are the only two sexes that he made. So regardless of how many letters the community that defines itself by LGBTQ, you've noticed how that keeps growing, right? Every month or so it seems like there's another letter that is added to define a sexuality that is not in existence. So catechize your children. This is the word. This is the word for clear biblical teaching which accords to the truth, which presents a true gospel, which, by the way, as a church, you are to be comparing to Scripture. In that sense, we understand what it means to be, to be exhorted to be Berean, to examine and search the Scriptures daily to find out whether what you are being taught actually accords with them or not. That's the responsibility of one who hears. So there's a balance that needs to be struck here. And the balance which verse 6 speaks to of sharing in all good things. A church does not want to keep their pastor or pastors in relative poverty. Neither do they want to lavish them with a super abundance. There is a balance that is to be struck and the Lord helps in that balance. And we appeal to his help for it. But notice that this comes also in the context of bearing one another's burdens. There is a burden that a pastor has that is met by the people whom he serves that gives him the opportunity and the time to study and prepare to teach. And as we're going to see here in just a moment, there is a spiritual principle behind all of this. And it's the principle of sowing and reaping. And while that principle is general, and we're going to view it in a general sense, I also think it can be very, very specific. Specific in the sense that as a church, a church reaps what they sow into their teacher. If you sow little, then don't expect a whole lot. If you sow much, it's right of you to have great expectation. And so that's the first and easy, obvious point to be made, the relationship of sharing between pastor and congregation out of verse 6. 
We've looked at the particulars. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So long as what is being taught is in accord with the truth, then this verse is a very easy one to understand. But I want to move on now to the seventh verse and the second point. And that is that we heed the warning not to fall prey to deception. The seventh verse says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The word for deceive here means to be led astray ever so gently. It's a word that interestingly is translated mistaken in Matthew chapter 22 verse 29 when Jesus responds to the question of this certain lady having had seven brothers as a husband and their question is whose wife will she be in the resurrection Jesus responds to them by saying you are mistaken it's this word for deceived you're deceived You've strayed from reality. You've strayed from the truth. And then he clears up their confusion and their deception. Whether or not they heard it is another story. But the deception here and the mocking of God. And we need to understand this. God is not mocked in the right way. This is not the mocking of Ishmael to Isaac. You remember that story as you read through Genesis. Ishmael and his mother Hagar mocking the son of promise, Isaac, making fun of him in some way, that kind of thing. This is not the mocking that we do one to another, whether it's a friendly or a spiteful type of mocking. This type of mocking that is in view here in verse 7 is the sneering of God. The turning up your nose to a clearly revealed principle in Scripture or truth in Scripture and just totally disregarding it because you or I think we know better or that we just are strong-headed and stubborn and rebellious and will not submit to it. That's the mockery of this deception in the seventh verse. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. I want to read you a quotation from Philip Graham Ryken. I'm reading his commentary as I'm preaching through Galatians and it's proved to be very helpful to me. He says this regarding this deception and mockery of God. He says this must refer in part to the lie that I can do whatever I want without ever being held accountable for what I've done. It is the lie that we can sin with impunity and impunity there meaning with no punishment. It is the lie that says no matter what I do now, I can be spiritual later. He then goes on to quote another Scotsman, John Brown. John Brown said, it is the lie that a man maintain, may have ultimate happiness without living a spiritual life. And that again is part of the context of this. We go back to last week. You who are spiritual, come alongside the brother that has fallen into sin or been overtaken by sin. Restore him, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. But this is... The context of the seventh verse. And in that quotation I gave you, there is the strength of the warning. The pervasive lie that says something like this, I can do whatever I want without being held accountable. 
that only works for a time. That only works for a, a short season. Your sin will find you out. Whether or not it comes to light in this life and the consequence comes to you now, I can't say. It may or it may not. If God is being particularly merciful to you, it will come to light in this life. But I can say with all certainty and with all surety that the sin which is committed in this life will be made known on the day of judgment. When you as an individual stand before God, go back to that last verse we looked at last week, each shall bear his own load. That is the responsibility that you bear before God that only you can answer for. That only you can give explanation for. That's not the crushing weight of a burden that is to be borne by your brethren in the preceding verse. And again, it refers to that which is going to be brought to light. So don't go on living as if the things that you do against the clear commands of God, against your own conscience, and against the commands of those in authority over you, don't go on living like those things are going to be swept under the rug forever, because they will not. Now I want you to notice the spiritual principle that governs spiritual life. And that is sowing and reaping. I want to first rehearse with you the natural law of sowing and reaping. And once, it, once that is solidified in our mind, we can bring it over and apply it in the spiritual sphere. But the natural law of sowing and reaping is stated for us biblically in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest will remain. Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That's a great verse, by the way, to steady your mind when you hear all of this speech and talk about global warming or global cooling or any of that kind of stuff. God has said this world is going to continue until Christ returns. But back more to the point, Job in chapter 4, verse 8, he said the same thing. And he's, he's even looking at it spiritually here. He says, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. You reap what you sow. And just to make a, a simple illustration of this, if you plant corn, what do you expect? Unless you're demented, and unless you are greatly confused, if you plant corn, you have a reasonable and logical expectation. If the conditions are met of a right amount of water and sunlight and all of that, the reasonable expectation is corn's going to grow. If you plant corn and expect wheat to grow, then we would say, well, that's unreasonable and illogical. And you say, yes, that's elementary, move on. And I'm, I'm about to, but I'm doing this for a reason. 
The same carries over into your spiritual life. The same law or principle seems to be in operation in your life spiritually as that elementary law of nature. That being true and being so, why are so many of us confused on this point? I mean, we chuckle to ourselves when we say plant corn and expect wheat. That's silly. Why don't we chuckle just the same? Or rather, why don't we in repentance before God cry out for mercy when we sow to the flesh and yet expect to reap spiritually? It's just as foolish. Just as illogical, just as unreasonable. But there's something in our minds that help us explain it away. It's called delusion, deceit. That's why Paul says, do, do not be deceived. Sowing to the flesh, expecting to reap some spiritual benefit is unreasonable and it is illogical. Yet, this is where so many live. And I think what this does for us is it reiterates the strength and brutality even of the war that is being waged in your spirit even now between the flesh and the spirit. So to go back and to read the verse, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Here's the principle. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Then the specific in verse 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. When you sow to the flesh, go back and reread the works of the flesh, that heinous listing of sin that begins in verse 19 of chapter 5. Certainly that's included, but there are many more can be added to that. It doesn't have to be this, this gross of a sin. Sowing to the flesh can be going after any of the weak and beggarly elements of this world, thinking that they are going to make for you some spiritual harvest in the day of accounting. Very clearly, the scripture says, if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. There is to be no confusion, no deception, but thankfully, the opposite is also true. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap, notice, everlasting life. Notice the contrasts. Corruption, everlasting life. Sowing to the flesh, sowing to the Spirit. Notice, though, there's no neutrality. You're either doing one or the other. The lines may grow very, very close together and even blur at some points, but we're never neutral. And I realize that a, that a true Christian endeavoring to walk into the Spirit who is repenting daily can sometimes sow to the flesh, but there seems to be an operation of the Spirit of God, a quickening to that presence of sin and a grieving of the Spirit that is made known. And that is the mercy of God bringing us back to repentance again and to a life that is well-pleasing to the Lord. Just notice again the simplicity of this. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. 
If you bow to sin and the temptations of the devil, if you absorb the fiery darts of the wicked one and are not holding them at bay by the armor of God, if you're not combating temptation as Jesus combated temptation in the wilderness with the truth of Scripture, then you are in very real danger of reaping a harvest of corruption. We all know the deceitfulness of sin. How in its beginning it seems to be only a small thing. It seems to be just a little bit of disobedience. And in the beginning it's easily covered. It's easily hidden. But sin, given its full run, the deceitfulness of it, what great consequence it can bring. How many young people have absolutely ruined their lives by sin in their youth. Now, thankfully, not all sin bears the same consequence. The consequence for murder far greater than the consequence for telling a lie to your parents concerning whether or not you fed the dog this morning. Yes, both are sins against God. Both need forgiveness. Forgiveness is available, but the consequence is far greater. And so there might be a varying degree here of, of sowing to the flesh, but notice there is corruption to be Reaped either way. So, no confusion, no deceit. Just as clearly as we understand naturally, if we plant corn, we can expect corn. We've carried that over into the spiritual realm and we understand just as simplistic. We understand that if we are sowing to the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. And if we're sowing to the spirit, we're going to reap eternal life, spiritual things. God help us to settle that once and fully in our minds. Let's move on to verse 9. And, then, and the ninth verse tells us, And let us not grow weary while doing good. And you can make the equation in your mind, the doing good equates to the sowing to the Spirit. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. This gives us the, the teaching and the assumption is here that growing weary is the result of doing good. And it can be. Many times it is. But we're not to let that win. We're not to let that rule and we're not to let that deter us from the good that we are supposed to be doing before the Lord. Now, I want you to notice these two words. Let us not grow weary. And then the words a little further down. If we do not 
lose heart. Two different words, but their meaning is pretty much the same. And they can be interpreted in this way. Let us not throw in the towel. Let us not just give up, throw our hands up in the air and say, what's the use? But it also means not to turn coward and run. Not to see the difficulty before you and just give up because of the difficulty. It's the very opposite. These two words, the very opposite of what Paul would write for us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. That verse reads, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, your, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Please hear this next sentence carefully. Nothing is so calculated to produce weariness in us as the suspicion that all of our efforts are fruitless. Let me say that again. Nothing is so calculated to produce weariness in us as the suspicion that our efforts are likely to all be fruitless. You felt this way before. You've seen the resistance, whatever the resistance is, you've seen it, you've experienced it, and in the doing of good, you've reached the point to where you just wanted to give up and say, what's the use? Let me encourage you. Let the scriptures encourage you. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, know this, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, let me be very specific here and encourage you parents. I need this encouragement as much as you do. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, whomever you are, let me be an encourager to you. You're going to look at some of the things your kids do and say, and you're going to just want to throw in the towel sometimes. You're going to want to think thoughts like this, and I can word this so well because they're thoughts I have thought before. Why spend all this time? Why spend all this money if this is going to be the end product? And I'm not there indicting my children. More often than not, it's a failure for me as a parent. And you can make that application to any sphere of life. But if it is to be defined as doing good, if it can sincerely be categorized as sowing to the Spirit, then there is no vain effort given. And the weariness often comes in those duties that that we do repeatedly over and over. They are numerous yet constant. That's when the weariness seems to set in. It's not the everyday something new, something fresh where weariness sets in. It's the repetitive groundhog day of continued discipline, continued this or continued that. It's the recurring nature of good things that are prone to make us go faint. Just recognize them for what they are. 
They're good things. And we're sowing to the spirit. What's the what's attached to it? We're going to reap. There will be a day, a coming season of harvest and reaping where all of that work, blood, sweat and tears are going to pay off. The Lord is going to bring this principle to life. So. Again, verse 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Notice the word season. Just like there's four seasons of the year, there are different seasons in the spiritual life. There are seasons of sowing the seed of the word. That season may last a very long time, but then there's also a season of harvest. The same applies to almost every sphere of your life. And the vast portion of your life may be defined by the season of sowing. Just recognize that up front for what it is. But that doesn't negate the real expectation of a season of harvest. But let's also not forget the negative side of this. We often speak of harvest in a good sense, where we've planted our corn, our corn has grown, and now we're going to harvest it. We see that as a positive thing. But if we're looking back at the negative aspect of this and we've sown to the flesh, there is a harvest of corruption. Where it comes home, there's no one there to receive the package but you. It's yours. You have to own it. And if you are even now Shunning that thought, let me just tell you plainly, you're deceived. That day's coming. Moving on to verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, doesn't come across in English, but the word opportunity is the same word as season in verse 9. So as we have season, that's a better translation and it's in it. It helps us more to understand it that way because oftentimes we see opportunities as once and done. And we've all said it, I've blown that opportunity. But when you look at the word season, therefore, as we have season, and that season is now. That season will last from now until the Lord returns or He calls you home to glory. That season is always open. As we have opportunity, as we have season, as we are living in this day of salvation, let us do good to all. Every person that you will ever lock eyes with is worthy of your good work to them. Every person that you will ever see. Now, sometimes, yes, much wisdom is needed. But every person that you will ever see in this season of life is worthy of your good deeds. 
Your acts of kindness, your cups of cold water given in the name of Christ, your evangelism, your speaking the words of truth to them, your withholding things that they're asking for if wisdom says they're going to use it for further abuse. Everyone is worthy of your good deeds. That's why I quote to you often the words of Martin Luther, God does not need your good works. Your neighbor does. Those around you. And that's, again, the context, right? Bear one another's burdens. And so it is always open season to to do good to everyone that you will meet. The greatest good being that you speak the word of Christ to them. That you make him known. But notice how verse 10 ends. Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. If it is true and it is that every person you will ever meet is worthy of your good deeds, how much more is it true that every brother or sister of yours in the Lord is worthy of your good works toward them? That brother or sister that takes a lot of your time, a lot of your effort, Especially them. Especially them. Because they are of the household of faith. So going back and rehearsing these these few verses before I close. Here are the points of this small paragraph. There is a right relationship between congregation and teacher. It's a mutual sharing. One sharing the good things of the Word of God, the other sharing the good things of this life. I don't see at all that it's limited to financial things, but I think that's certainly implied here because of the other texts, other verses that we've read. I think the spiritual principle in verse 7 that we looked at more in a general sense of sowing and reaping certainly applies to this relationship of congregation to pastor-teacher. The spiritual principle of sowing and reaping begs the question of real introspection and examination to which are you sowing? Which one is receiving your strength, your stewardship, your effort, and your time? And then the encouragement. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. Don't grow tired of doing the right thing. There will be a season of harvest. In due season you shall reap. Do good to all, especially your brothers and sisters in the Lord. I want to close just by saying this this is something that only gospel ears hear. You understand what I mean? A message like this falls on deaf ears to those that have not been quickened by the Spirit of God to those that have not been converted, to those who have not come to Christ. 
So let me rehearse the gospel again with you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is your greatest need. It is the thing that you stand in the most need of. It's not more money. It's not more fun. It's not more freedom. It's not more being really understood by those around you. And it's your greatest need and my greatest need because the scripture tells us that we're all sinful. You go back to the third chapter of our Bible. That which was created perfect, Adam and Eve, male and female, fell into sin. Romans 5 tells us that Adam being our head, we've all fallen into sin. And have fallen short of the glory of God. And that there is a real wage to be paid for having done so. And that wage is death. But thankfully, the gospel is good news. There's bad mixed in it, but ultimately it's good news. And it is that Christ, the sinless Son of God, came freely, willingly, uncoerced, lived a life that you couldn't live, satisfying the righteous requirements of the law, stood in your place on the cross of Calvary, absorbing the wrath of God, And now you're hearing this gospel preached, which the scripture says is the very power of God unto salvation. There is a mysterious, even miraculous working or operation of the spirit when he takes simple words like I've spoken to you from the scripture. He takes those words and he uses them in your life to bring life. And with that life comes new understanding, new desires, new obedience, and repentance for all of those things that have grieved the Lord before. The scriptures simply say, come to Christ trusting in faith that his work is sufficient for you. And that once you come to him, even as we sang this morning, it will now and forever be well with your soul, come what may. Is this where you are? Only you and the Lord know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message of the gospel. <clears throat> We thank you, Lord, for the hope that it brings, the life that it gives and secures. We thank you for Jesus who lived the perfect, sinless life and who so freely and willingly gave himself on the cross of Calvary. Father, we pray that your spirit would make application of these great truths in the hearts and minds here. Father, and those of us that have confessed the name of Christ, who have come believing, Lord, we desire to hear the words of this paragraph we've studied this morning. Lord, we do not want to fall prey to deception. Certainly, 
not going so far as to mock you, our God and maker. Lord, help us to really understand and to implement the principle of sowing and reaping in our lives. Lord, help us not to be deceived thinking that we can sow to the flesh and reap eternal life or reap spiritual blessing. Father, teach us the reality of these things. We appeal to your mercy. We appeal to your grace, knowing that you, as the judge of all the earth, will definitely do right. We thank you for these moments that we've been able to worship and give attention to your word. We ask now that you would add your blessing to it. In Christ's name, amen.